Dr. Rashmi Muller is an integrative endocrinologist practicing at UCLA and the Greater Los Angeles VA. She received her medical degree from UT Southwestern Medical Center, completed her internal medicine and chief year residency at Barnes Jewish Hospital and Washington University School of Medicine, and completed a fellowship in endocrinology at the VA Cedar Sinai Medical Center. She is a board certified integrative medicine practitioner certified yoga instructor, and has even completed a fellowship in research and medicine education. Speaking of which, Dr. Muller serves as a curricular faculty member at the David Geffen School of Medicine, where she chairs the endocrinology course for first-year medical students, and also serves as education director of the UCLA Health Integrative Medicine Collaborative. Dr. Muller has been recognized nationally as a leader for her work spearheading multiple clinical programs utilizing integrative medicine practices for the management of chronic diseases, such as diabetes, amongst other disorders. All right. Welcome, Dr. Muller. Thank you so much for being on this podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited. It's a pleasure. So I wanted to get started by uh, really diving into your most wholesome and authentic definition of integrative medicine. Ah. Okay, so um, in my view, uh, integrative medicine is is best defined as an approach to care um, where we, you know, focus on a whole person-centered approach, prioritizing mind, body, and spiritual health, mm-hmm. um, and making the best of the available treatment options from conventional treatments like we learn about in in our medical school trainings, as well as traditional approaches um, that patients may come with from their cultural heritage. In addition to mind-body modalities that help people really center themselves and, and listen to their bodies, because ultimately the goal is to get someone to their optimal health, which truly can only be defined by the patient, right? Mm -hmm. So um, I I firmly believe that every person knows themselves best. And I I use integrative medicine to help people find their own path towards optimal health. And that's how I define it. Wow, that is a very inspiring definition. And I especially love what you have to say about only we ourselves know our optimal potential. Um, And I I love that your definition really incorporates empowering the patient to get there and recognizing that for themselves. That's amazing. Thank you. Before we go into your work specifically with endocrinology and integrative medicine, Mm -hmm. I want to start off by getting a feel for your journey into medicine in the first place and then perhaps into choosing endocrinology as your field of practice? And then where along the way did integrative medicine really um, become a part of your practice as well? Yeah, so um, I am probably one of the rare people that came into medical school differentiated, if you will. Mm. Um, I, I came in knowing that I wanted to be an endocrinologist um, and it stayed with me. Um, my integrative interests kind of grew over the years um, and it started before medical school, but I think when I was in training, um, and I'll age myself 20 years ago, um, when I was in training 20 years ago, um, that you could build a career 
in integrative medicine with a with a with a conventional training pathway um, was foreign, and so I, I I didn't have the the roadmap to put it all together, but it was percolating in my head since I was a first year because I you know grew up in this country um, as a first generation Indian immigrant. Um, the practices of yoga Ayurveda and traditional like Indian approaches to medicine have, have always been part of my life. And so, um, and, and a natural form of, of stress relief and, 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 you know, kind of that mind, body, spirit approach. And so I was using that myself, you know, to manage the stress of, you know, training and et cetera, uh, when I entered medical school. Um, and as I said, I, I wanted to be an endocrinologist from the beginning because I, I come from a family where several of my family members suffer from endocrine disorders. My, my entire side of my dad's family has uh, diabetes mm. and uh, my mom has hypothyroidism. And I've kind of watched them uh, kind of struggle with chronic disease, yeah. right? And, and, and while these are very treatable conditions, and I'm so glad that, you know, uh, conventional medicine has approaches and medications for these, uh, I couldn't ignore the fact that I have watched family members struggle, whether it's diabetes related to stress or chronic fatigue and hypothyroidism, where you go to a conventional treatment approach and the numbers look okay. And so people get told, oh, well, you're fine because your labs look fine. And, and that I knew from an early experience that that just wasn't enough. And, and so really finding ways to, to treat the whole person and, and get to the, the root cause of what might be contributing um, it has been kind of a goal of mine. Uh, I think in earnest, I started incorporating integrative medicine um, into my clinical care. I would say around fellowship time, I was doing my yoga teacher training around that time. And I knew that talking about lifestyle approaches for, for my patients with diabetes or talking about, you know, stress reduction, um, in, in global terms, um, mm -hmm. was different than offering people quick, uh, one to two minute breathing exercises or, or teaching them some yoga based stretches. And so it started to evolve over time. And then when I finished my fellowship, um, I was lucky because the VA at that time was really pioneering this patient centered approach. And so um, the VA has had yoga programs and Tai Chi programs and acupuncture programs to help veterans who suffer from multimorbid disease and chronic uh, PTSD. And so it was just a natural fit. And I started uh, to partner with my colleagues at the VA and you know, took a position there in endocrinology and slowly started to build my career. So that was a very long answer, but I hope that explains it's, kind of how no, I got it does. There. It's remarkable. Um, and I think I find it incredible that 
I relate to you in many ways. I'm very early. There's so much I have to explore in my career, but certainly I think so much of what you were saying is it, it seems like by a matter of circumstance, uh, what you were exposed to growing up um, was very, whether it was traditional Indian medicine or Ayurveda or just practices that were like rituals, perhaps, right, in your family right. and in your well being, um, were very organic ways of what you thought was living healthy and well. And I love that you were able to um, see that incorporated into your own practice. Um, and I, certainly the lens of, I think, seeing your own loved one suffer from something that you feel like you really want to help and, and especially bring a new lens to. Um, and you're right. I, I, the landscape has changed so much. I can't imagine um, how different it must have been to have to create uh, or to, to really go about and create a practice in integrative medicine 15, 20 years ago versus now where I think it's um, very much coming into mainstream medicine, being adopted. Um, and people are very curious. Um, so thank you so much for sharing that. Very inspiring. Yeah. Absolutely. Thank you. So I uh, figured that a really great way to learn more about your practice as an integrative endocrinologist would be to maybe tap into some common pathologies that you work with. And, and certainly you mentioned diabetes being one of them. So perhaps what we could do is um, in your work doing integrative diabetes management, mm -hmm. what does a typical visit with you look like? And, and perhaps if you could Tell us a little bit more about how that might have deferred before, after your training or before and after, you know, you found a way for integrative medicine to be a part of how you work with your patients. Yeah, absolutely. So um, my integrative medicine practice has evolved over the years and uh, certainly, you know, a, a visit with me kind of comes for diabetes comes in kind of two varieties. So I do group visits. Um, as well as one-on-one -on -one individual consultation. And um, both of them have benefits. And I, I, I tell my patients that both are, are usually something they should consider. Um, a one-on-one -on -one visit um, covers all the highlights and hallmarks of a like a conventional approach to diabetes care, right? You know, getting their diabetes history, finding out about which complications they've had. Um, but I think where it kind of defers and, and goes into more of the integrative approach is really, I really try to understand the lived experience of someone who's living with diabetes because um, diabetes related distress is something that is highly prevalent in the population, um, but underreported, underrecognized, and I think undertreated, right? I think when you have someone with diabetes, um, whether we're talking about type one or type two, and there's certainly different challenges that my patients with type one or type two have, or my patients with gestational diabetes have, mm -hmm. but, but it changes your relationship to food and nutrition, right? So just the idea, like if you look at, you know, I have three kids, right? So if you look at how a toddler eats, right? You know, they naturally try to gravitate, listen to their body signals about what tastes good, what feels good, wow. what they want to eat. Sure, sure, they need counseling and training and guidance from their parents, but but you essentially take that kind of free free flowing approach, and then you say you have to carb count, you have to watch what you eat. If you're taking insulin and you don't quote unquote do it right, 
there are consequences at the end yeah. where you feel terrible, whether your sugar is high or low, you mm -hmm. feel bad. Yeah. And, and so that lived experience, we, we have a way to, to measure that. And so there's this, um, a diabetes distress scale. It's a 17 point questionnaire. It's not perfect, but it really helps characterize, um, the patient's level of distress from either the regimen, the, the, their relationship with their physician, um, their interpersonal relationships, as well as the emotional burden of having diabetes. And so um, I usually start there in my one-on-one -on -one approaches and then kind of figure out how I can help patients cope because diabetes is a lifelong chronic condition. If you have type one, certainly you're on insulin forever. If you have type two and you cure yourself, whether through lifestyle approaches, bariatric surgery, whatever it is, you are still constantly monitoring, right? And always at risk. And that takes a toll. And so for me, integrative medicine is not there to replace meds or to, um, you know, eliminate the need for conventional treatments. It's really about finding the best ways to help patients cope with a chronic disease. And that's why I don't only see patients with diabetes and endocrine disorders. In my practice at the VA, I see patients who have all, you know, types of problems, right? Because I have a general integrative medicine clinic. Um, and what I find is that my patients, whether they have, you know, diabetes or an endocrine disorder, they usually also have some other, yeah challenging condition and vice versa. Wow. There's so much to unpack there. Um, I think one, and I, I'll certainly say as a medical student, we, we see diabetes prevalently in our, obviously in our training or medical training didactics, but in um, what we see in our wards and the clinic, but I've never really tapped into this idea of diabetes distress. And now it's just coming to me like any chronic disease, you're right. It's, it's a life-changing diagnosis. And it seems like a, a major part of your integrative treatment to diabetes is really addressing that distress that comes about. Maybe take a deeper look into that. What have you found has been helpful in allowing your patients to maybe lower? I'm, I'm sure the distress is always going to be there. You have a diagnosis that it certainly is, is life-changing, but what have you found have been therapies or ways of approaching your patient's diagnosis that allows them to make this kind of process of becoming the healthiest version of themselves easier on themselves and, and not so much restrictive? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I want to be very clear that diabetes-related distress um, often is associated with with other mood disorders and it, it, it is not it is not depression but it is often seen in patients who have depression and so it's important for anyone listening to to know that um, if you have someone who has diabetes related distress but you think it's more that you do have to partner with behavioral health specialists and I yeah. do that as part of my practice generally mm -hmm. um, but beyond that caveat I will say that, when I think about ways in which we can improve diabetes-related distress, um, that is where I think integrative medicine is actually really beneficial. So um, I did a small pilot study that we presented at the ADA pre-pandemic. We did this kind of in a group visit when we were still gathering in groups. And um, it was really talking about, you know, the 
the stress response and the relaxation response and explaining what happens when your body experiences hypoglycemia and how that triggers a stress response, right? Like you learn this in medical school. I know that I, I teach this to all the first years, right? So, so explaining that process, but then also explaining that the relaxation response can help neutralize that, help people cope. Um, and then the peer support that comes in, in the group visit where it's not necessarily me telling someone how to live or how to manage a hypoglycemic event, um, but really hearing from a peer who has maybe gone through the same thing or you know, had a hypo event at a mall or in the car or in front of a child or, you know, and, and just how challenging that is. And for patients to learn from each other on how to, on how best to cope. And, and that, that peer support, I, I can't tell you how much that matters um, for someone to hear it from someone who has, has lived that same experience. And that's something that I didn't learn in medical school and didn't necessarily appreciate. That's not something I, I, I learned to appreciate until much later, um, not only in my practice, but you know, I think I've been um, I've talked about having a child with severe disability and, and how um, we often talk at or talk to patients with chronic disease and disability and tell them how to cope but really it should come from peers who have been there and done it. And that's where, you know, I, I, I view myself as a, as a partner and as someone who can help advocate, but I, I don't like that paternalistic view that we often take in medicine. And I, and I think that's changing over time. Certainly it's definitely better now than it was 20 years ago. But yeah, that's, I think the peer support and the use of mind-body approaches are most successful in treating um, diabetes-related distress. Wow. Um, wow, that is very special to hear. Um, and I was thinking more and more about what you mentioned earlier in your um, explaining to us your journey into medicine about how so many times the, the lab values might look normal or um, the, the clinical picture might look fine, but what the patient is actually experiencing is so far out of what that scope might look like and understanding of what's going on. Um, but then to have that recognition um, of other peers having gone through um, a similar experience, how empowering that, that, that in itself can be. And also, I think what you were saying as a physician, um, not being talked at, um, but rather as a partner um, is incredibly important. Um, and I can't imagine that so much of that comes with more and more clinical training, but thank you so much for sharing that. So I think I've picked up in so many of my conversations with other integrative medicine physicians is that either you have had this exposure of integrative medicine practices in your own life or for, for you, for instance, it was something that you grew up with. For other physicians, I found that's something that they find later in their career as a way to take care of themselves. Mm -hmm. um, and so career medicine can be challenging and, and finding that balance to incorporate those practices in, into your own life as it is can be challenging for your patients. But I would love to know what are some of the essential, almost invaluable practices in your life that have been very important for you um, in 
you know, just how you carry yourself as being in this life, in your career, um, as a mother, as a wife, um, what, what do those practices look like for you? Yeah. Wow. Um, I think, yeah, before I answer the question, cause it's hard to, to nail down certain practices. I, I do want to echo what you said. You're so, you're so right. Like so many people who practice integrative medicine, it comes from this state of deep personal awareness and, and how it's transformed their careers. Um, I, I certainly have also experienced that piece of it as well, because, you know, while I espoused the integrative medicine practices in my patients with diabetes and had, had been doing that from basically the time I finished fellowship, it really wasn't until a few years into practice where I experienced my own just incredible burnout. Mm -hmm. um, but it wasn't burnout from my clinical practice. It was caregiver stress and fatigue. And I, I wrote about my journey in a little op-ed um, in an endocrine journal and really talked about like, you know, chronic stress and fatigue and how traditional, I'm sorry, not traditional, but how conventional medicine doesn't necessarily have the approaches um, to deal with chronic stress and fatigue and how I had to revisit and, and and modify my integrative practices, because I think that's the most important thing is the evolution, right? So if, if integrative medicine helps me cope and helps me connect with myself and reminds me of, you know, what my ultimate purpose is and why I'm doing this, it also changes over time. It's not the same, like the same, you know, yoga mindfulness practice that I was doing you know, 20 years ago is, is not the same that I'm doing now. And there have been, you know, peaks and valleys in my, in my practice, right? I, I certainly consider myself a lifelong meditator and a lifelong yoga practitioner, but my practice has waxed and waned. And the, you know, the things that I do for myself to care for myself have changed over time. And, and so when I think of what, what has worked the most, I think, it's really that, that yogic view of constant evolution and renewal and revision. Because if we are truly to know ourselves as we age healthfully, mm -hmm. um, things will change. And I think that that part, uh, being willing to, to start something new and try something new and suck at it for a while, and, and, you know, the ability to, to say to yourself, you know what, this isn't working for me and give yourself the kindness to step away and to say, you know what, I, I know I'm an integrative medicine doctor. I know what I should be doing, um, but it's all not working right now. And I think that is something that I recently faced um, in my grief journey and I'm still figuring that part out because, um, uh, you know, for your, for your listeners, I, uh, who don't know, I, I lost my son. He, um, passed away in December, 2019 before the pandemic and all of the integrative approaches that I thought could help sustain me, um, just were not available. Mm -hmm. And 
what I've come to kind of realize now as we come to close to the two year anniversary of his passing is that I'm not alone in that. Um, the entire world has been grieving in a way, you know, we've lost so many people to the pandemic and we're all reevaluating what matters and what, what we need to care for ourselves. And so I'm in the process of reevaluating and revising and renewing. And I think that's the most integrative thing I could do. Wow. Um, thank you so much for being so vulnerable and honest. Um, and I'm incredibly sorry for what you've had to experience. Thank you. And, uh, just want to send my, my love and my wishes for you in this journey as you, as you said, continue to explore your practice and, and how you approach this. But again, thank you for, for sharing this with us. Thank you. Um, I think I, I have in, in some respects this idea that um, our journeys in, in this life and what we experience, whether it's in disease or whatever we, whatever we go through the challenges, I think that the beauty of it is that there is so much uncertainty in, mm -hmm. in what maybe the right solution is. But um, what I liked what you said is you just have to give yourself the kindness to recognize that, hey, what I've been doing isn't working, but I'm going to explore and, and give myself time to figure it out. The beauty of integrative medicine um, is that there is that space for it. And there really isn't a one size fits all approach. And even maybe if you found, correct me if I'm wrong, that uh, approach that works for you five years ago, it might not work for you 10 years later. Exactly true, right? Uh, I think it's, it's not something where you can just kind of like pick something and stay on that. And if, it, I mean, granted, if that worked, fantastic. Like why, why rock the boat if it's working? But mm -hmm. um, for most of my patients that I see, they're not brand new to integrative medicine. They've tried something, they're, they're struggling, they're, they're trying to put the pieces together. And so recognizing that most of my patients are not novices, if you will, um, but that they are looking for sustainable solutions that work for their lives right mm -hmm. now. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Wow. And I think, honestly, that approach can be, it's not just, you know, exclusive to integrative medicine. Perhaps if we brought that mindset, I'm thinking into any practice of medicine, really, how much benefit that could, could bring, because I think a lot of the distress can be experienced in not finding a solution immediately. Um, and maybe sometimes just accepting that, wow, I'm in a difficult spot emotionally, psychologically, maybe physically with your health, but this is where I'm at now. And I'm going to give myself the time to reinvent or rediscover or uh, kind of evolve, as you were saying, um, into practices that are going to help me. And maybe that attitude is really what we need um, to bring to ourselves, our own lives, but also to our patients. I couldn't agree more. I think you said it beautifully. Um, when I think about integrative medicine and the whole health model at the VA, I really do think that that, that is the approach. I mean, we have this um, personal health inventory that we have our health coaches um, you know, facilitate with the patient 
where our first question is, what matters most to you? Right. And if you can think about yourself answering that question, what matters most to you today might be different from what mattered most to you four years ago. And so to start there and then frame the whole health conversation around that, that's why integrative medicine, it it is a subspecialty per se, but it really is a, a new approach to care. Um, and putting the, the patient at the center and, and providing them tools and viewing us as healthcare partners. Um, that, that's why I'm so inspired by the work. Wow. I wanted to maybe transition a little bit and sure. speak a little bit more about, I know you, and please feel free to clarify, but you've played a major role in Certainly during the pandemic, the transition to telemedicine has been incredible, um, and especially at the VA. And you play a very important role in delivering telemedicine. Um, So please, if you could maybe explain to me um, your role at the VA and what you do with telemedicine, and then the bend of how do you feel or have you found um, it possible to um, incorporate integrative therapies or integrative model into a telemedicine? Because I can only see, I imagine that as, you know, such an important way forward for the practice of medicine. Anyways, a lot of questions there, but. Yeah, no, no, <laughs> no, absolutely. More. I love, love to talk about this. Yeah. So um, yes, telemedicine is this other, whole other job that I have. Um, I'm the chief of telehealth at the Greater Los Angeles VA. I took that position in uh, 2019, pre-pandemic. So, oh my um, gosh, the timing and, of that. Yeah, the timing of that. We'll, we'll get to that story in a minute. Um, I, I was inspired to take that position because I had um, created, I had expanded that we had a small telediabetes clinic at the VA. Um, the VA had invested in telehealth um, in the early 2000s, um, not, not only to, to help manage, you know, patients with mental illness where telemedicine works really well for consultation, but also because so many of our veterans live in rural areas with um, limited access. So having, having an investment in telemedicine made a lot of sense for the VA. And so, um, and, and, and that matters because when it came time to scale up our telemedicine visits during the pandemic, we had the infrastructure in place, which made it, I, I don't want to say easy because it was not easy, but it made it more feasible. Um, and, and that's why we were able to scale our visits by, by nearly like a thousand percent. But talking specifically about how I how I view telemedicine and and why it makes sense for the work that I do. I I started um, to expand the telediabetes program um, back in 2013, 2014. And then I established our tele yoga and tele tai chi practices because while we had yoga and tai chi at our main campus, we had patients, you know, who were two hours away that couldn't join, but we did have the ability to basically what we consider now streaming, but to, to stream the class to uh, a remote clinic out in Bakersfield so the patients could come there with their yoga mats and then have the instructor, which now in the in the era of, you know, streaming, you know, yoga programs on your phone, that's not such a novel concept, but back, you know, 10 years ago when we were starting it, it, it was new. And so, 
um, that that's kind of the lens with which I came into the role. And then the other kind of piece of telemedicine is, you know, the newer digital technologies and apps and, you know, wearable devices where, you know, I've done some research work on, you know, how wearable devices can kind of impact behavior change when it comes to chronic diseases like obesity and diabetes. And, and so that, that's kind of the, the medical um, kind of approach of telemedicine that I, that I find most valuable. So, so when I think about telemedicine, I don't just think about access to patients, mm -hmm. because that is certainly important. And during the pandemic, telemedicine became the only way we could access patients. But when you look at the data supporting telemedicine, um, it's really for improving access for chronic disease and, and improving patient satisfaction because patients can get seen in their own homes and feel um, like they don't have the added burden of travel. And there's been multiple studies kind of looking at that all pre-pandemic. There have been multiple trials looking at the efficacy of telehealth in diabetes all pre-pandemic, which were all overwhelmingly positive, right? Because if you increase the amount of time and the amount of visits you have with your physician or healthcare provider, that improves outcomes. If you improve patient satisfaction by decreasing travel time and, and wait times, that improves outcomes. So, so overwhelmingly, it's, a, it's an approach that makes sense. So then when you get to the pandemic, you have telemedicine in a, in a way that's that's not designed for you know, improving access. It's really just the only way you can see your doctor. Right. And that experience was a different beast altogether, right? It was getting people who, patients, providers, everyone, you know, clerical staff, everyone used to this virtual modality, which was a whole change in healthcare. And I think that it served its purpose during the pandemic, really in terms of allowing us to, to see our patients remotely. But now that we are kind of approaching a steady state, um, I think it'll go back to, to being that, that access channel, right? Mm -hmm. And what's nice about it is now that people are exposed and aware, we can do the innovative things that maybe would have been 10 years off, but now we can do them now because we've got that implementation. And, you know, before I start talking about innovation, I, I, I want to just pause for a minute and just say that the one thing that was, a, was something that was important and was a challenge during the pandemic was making sure that we had equitable access to telehealth. And um, there have been multiple studies talking about how you know, the patients who, who suffered the most, who didn't see their doctor were patients of color, patients who were elderly, patients who lived in areas of deprivation. Um, so I don't think we can have a conversation about telehealth without talking about the structural and policy changes that are required to make it equitable. I'm lucky that my practice is at the VA in which um, we have, you know, access stations for rural areas. We have a digital divide consult where, you know, a patient who doesn't have access to uh, a smartphone or a computer or Wi-Fi can get a device from the VA for their telemedicine visits. I, I, I feel very lucky to say that, that I'm in a system that 
that has planned for that. Um, but I think it shouldn't be just limited to us. Like all of my patients should have that kind of access. And if we are going to make telemedicine part of our future, that part needs to be addressed. Wow, absolutely. I think this serves as a great transition to what um, I know certainly is something really near and dear to um, what you're doing and what you've been involved in most most recently. Uh, can you speak a little bit more, I feel, yeah. the equity and access in integrative medicine and the work you're doing um, with the Academy of uh, Medicine? Yeah. So I work with the Academy of Integrative Health and Medicine, and I serve on their BIPOC committee, which is a board-sanctioned committee to look specifically at equity and access in integrative medicine. And it does dovetail nicely into the conversation about telemedicine, because while some telemedicine approaches really do work well in integrative medicine, uh, mind-body approaches, et cetera, we need to make sure that we're just not only considering the people that have access. So, so there's that portion of it. Um, and then more importantly, there's you know discussions around anti-racism in integrative medicine. Integrative medicine is not um, somehow immune to the same implicit biases and challenges that are faced throughout medicine, right? We, we have to examine ourselves and our own practices. Um, and so what our committee is charged with doing is to, you know, train the AIHM board on um, anti-racism approaches in integrative medicine, being mindful and honoring the fact that there are incredible heritable cultural traditions in integrative medicine that, that often experience cultural appropriation or, or uh, denigration in kind of how we approach it. And we kind of pick and choose, right? Um, which integrative modalities we think are appropriate and which ones we think are quote unquote snake oil. And, and I think we have to examine our biases when we're evaluating that. Um, and, you know, even the, the ways in which we, we rank and, and have hierarchy with our integrative approaches, right? We, we accept um, acupuncture and yoga and, and all these things that come from, quote unquote, the East, right? And we say that's Eastern medicine and Western medicine is, is our conventional therapies. But that's a very colonial view because there's so much to learn in traditional African medicine or all of the medicine of that's rooted in the Americas and Native American culture and all of this that we just kind of, because we characterize it as East and West, we kind of ignore, right? And I had my eyes kind of, you know, blown wide open when we had this beautiful talk at our, our recent conference by um, uh, a, 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 a natural healer, um, Grace Sesma, who talked about, you know, uh, traditional Native American healing and how they want to be included in the fold of integrative medicine, but at the same time, they don't want their cultural traditions regulated, standardized, um, licensed, to where people outside of their cultural tradition could come in and say, oh, I'm licensed as a native healer, but they don't actually 
come from that cultural tradition. So there's all these different um, factors at play. And it's very hard to kind of come up with one, you know, kind of approach right now. But I think the, the thing that we're excited about is we've partnered um, our, our board has partnered with the University of Miami Miller School of Medicine to create an anti-racism training in integrative medicine. Oh. And I hope that um, with the creation of that training, that can get disseminated not only to the AHM board and the AHM fellows, but then I can use that training and, and also start educating our students at UCLA and other medical schools about these approaches. Wow, that is incredible and so global. And I think such a view that often gets very easily overlooked. Um, and, and you're so right. We Integrative medicine is not immune to the inequity and to the lack of access that any other part of medicine in our practices are. Um, and thank you so much for being a part of this, this spearheading this movement. Um, it's incredible. And I can't wait to see what comes out of the, the training and, and really how it trickles down to the medical students. That is incredible. Thank you. I'm really excited about it. Dr. Moeller, I'm realizing how I could literally spend hours with you. Um, I, I feel like we barely scratched the surface, <laughs> um, but it's honestly such a pleasure to, to get to know from you because I think you, you speak with a lot of a lot of truth, I think, in your own story and your own practice um, and vulnerability, which what makes you unique in your practice, not just of integrative medicine, but medicine in general. Thank you. That is such a high compliment. Thank you. And um, I thought what better way to conclude our podcast and our time together by, this is a question I ask a lot of the guests that I have on, but what knowledge would you want to impart on today's medical student in training or current physicians um, about the role of integrative medicine um, for the future? Oh, yeah, that's a, that's a tough one. I think, I think if I would impart anything, I think it's the concept that integrative medicine is not a subspecialty, um, but it is an approach to care um, that can encompass self-care as well as the care we provide to others, the care we provide to our friends and family. Um, for me, it's a way of life. Um, and I think that, that taking that view um, in many ways makes it seem less esoteric, less of one of these outside woo-woo sort of um, phenomenon that, that often integrative medicine can get pigeonholed into that, that dreaded word of alternative um, that, that I don't espouse, but, but really to find and, and find that balance in how we approach ourselves and how we approach our patients. Because I think integrative medicine needs to be modeled. Um, one, of the, one of the tenets of the, prior to the Academy of Integrative Health and Medicine, there was a board of the American Holistic Medical Association. Mm -hmm. And, and in, that, in that board, um, one of their tenets is that we, we lead by example. Mm -hmm. So um, that, that's what I would say is if, you are, if you're prioritizing your own self-care needs, it's hard not to then take that view with your patients. Wouldn't you want that, right? But then if we are all suffering from moral injury and burnout, of course we lack that empathy and, and that approach to our patients because we don't you can't give from an empty vessel.
Absolutely. Uh, thank you for that reminder. And lastly, what are your hopes and dreams for the future of medicine? Mm. Yeah. Um, I would love a future in, in medicine where, where we could be um, in, in more partnership with our patients. Um, truthfully, I, I, I have some of that at the VA, I, I see it evolving. Um, but but certainly, I think that really is the future where, where as as physicians, as healthcare providers, um, we are there to guide and to partner and to minister. Um, but ultimately, we are, we are kind and considerate and caring and, and caring our patients as our friends. Right, I, I develop longitudinal relationships with my patients. Um, I know about their lives and what matters to them. And it's hard to do that with the way medicine is practiced today. Um, I think it was the way I thought medicine would be when I went into medicine, right? This idea of you know, your family practice doc who, who's known you your whole life and has, can spend time with you. But, but certainly if you look at our primary care physicians, they're all, suffering because they're not able to practice in the way that they want. And so what I would like to see, whether it's integrative medicine or the future of medicine in general, it's just that return to that partnership in health. Wow. Wow. That's so special. And um, certainly something that I hope to hope to see in my time and training as well. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Muller, for you. being a part of this. Um, it's been such a lovely conversation. I really appreciate it. Good luck with everything that you're going to do in the future. I wish you well. Thank you so much.